0: Hi, everybody. Tyler here. I'm happy to announce that RPGbot.net has been nominated for an Ennie in Best Online Content for 2022. Winners are selected by an online vote from members of the community like you, so we need your help to take home the award. If we could ask you for a moment to vote for us and for other great creators in the Ennies, that would be a huge help. We'll have links in the show notes. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode.
1: the rpgbot.podcast. I'm Randall James, your poorly equipped peasant, and with me is Tyler Kamstra. Hi everybody. And Ash Eli.
0: Hey guys. All right Tyler, what's happening? Well today we're going to talk about tools. Uh, Tools in tabletop RPGs, Not, uh, not tools like the Monsterizer or your random dice generator. We're talking like blacksmith's tools or thieves tools, things like that. Tools that your character will use in your tabletop RPG.
1: We're also not talking about power tools. We're not talking about ourselves.
0: Uh, hey. Uh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would say that I am a tool, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Maybe
1: we'll spend a little time on ourselves, then it probably could hurt. <laughs> for sure. For sure.
0: Uh, hey, we can, we can talk about RPGs where there are power tools because there are such things. Is it, wait, is, there, is there a tool time? God. I do not believe that there is an officially licensed tool time RPG. But Randall, I'm going to say, hey, be the change you want to see in the world.
1: I don't think I want to see that change, but Okay,
0: that's that's reasonable. So let's talk about tools, what they do, why they're useful, things like that. Uh, if you've played 5e since launch, you have probably gone most of your time with the game and given very, very little thought to tools because, honestly, for a huge portion of the games history, they were pretty useless, to be blunt. And they got a big update in Xanathars, but even with that big update, they're still very easy to overlook. So we're gonna try and go into what we can do with tools, what we can do to make them interesting, and like some benefits you can get from your tools that you might not know about. And of course, we'll hit on other RPGs and how those things, like how tools fit into those RPGs for comparison, and like because it 5e is an outlier here. So, Randall, uh, I'm going to pick on you.
1: (laughs) And it's worth calling out. We'll have it linked in the show notes. Uh, So Rocco, uh, one of the writers for RPG Bot, just posted an article on tools. And so this is all kind of timely. Looking at that kind of made me think this would be an awesome topic to talk about on the podcast.
0: Yes, sometimes it's fun to, you know, talk on the podcast about stuff we're writing about or write about stuff that we're talking about on the podcast. So, you know, it goes back and forth. It's fun. And yeah, uh, Rocco's article is very, very good. Strongly recommend it. Um, so Randall, I'm going to pick on you a bit. Name me three tools.
1: Uh, well, I've got a, a drill. I've got a, oh, no, that's okay.
0: In uh, 5e, that's what you're going for? Yeah, sure. Three tools in 5e. Let's start there.
1: Okay, well, I've got a, uh, I got a lock. Oh, okay. I got thieves tools, right? Okay, yeah. So I've got thieves tools. Um, I have chef's tools. And the only reason I know I have chef's tools <laughs> is because, uh, yeah, uh, Bugbear Girls uses chef tools all the time. He makes sausage out of everything, and I think that's fantastic. <laughs>
0: um, artisans tools? That's artisans, thing, right? Kind of. So in, in 5e, artisans tool is a category of tools. It is not a single singular tool. Now, in other RPGs, artisans tools are the generic stats for any of a set of tools. So like... Blacksmith's tools, specific thing in, in 5e, uh, generic artisan's tool in PF2. Perfect. So gotcha. We'll count it.
1: <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> the goal was three, right? I can
0: stop. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> While we're t- on the subject of artisan's tools, let's talk about what they are just super quick. Um, so, artisan's tools are the tools that you use for crafting and repairing items in 5th edition. In PF2, it's just for crafting. Uh, so, if you want to make a uh, suit of armor, a uh, shield, a uh, boat, um, a clay pot, any of those things, you will need appropriate artisan's tools. Like, it, it's very difficult to build a boat completely with just your hands. I'm not saying it can't be done. But, but the boat's can't. probably going to sink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everything's a boat for a minute. How far do you have to get from a floating log before you can actually call it a boat? I'm pretty sure it's your destination. I think that's your answer. We're just going to skip over that one.
3: That's fine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know
1: what to do with that. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, if you don't, if you don't make it your destination, it wasn't a boat; it was a death trap. <laughs> <laughs> Got it.
0: Okay. Wait does that does that mean the Titanic was a floating log? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's the conclusion. Technically,
2: yeah, you... yes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs>
0: All right. yeah, the destination was all the way to the scene of the crash. <laughs> so speaking of things that crash in sync, vehicles are another variety of tool. How about that segue? That was great, was perfect.
3: Yeah. That's right, because
0: you, you are proficient in land vehicles. Bugbear uh, Girls is proficient in land vehicles. Yes, Bugbear Girls is proficient in land vehicles. Yes, in fifth edition, vehicles are a type of tool that that you can be proficient in. So you'll typically get that proficiency from your background. Like Soldier gives you proficiency in land vehicles. So that's things like uh, wagons, chariots, uh, if, if you're in a game where those exist, cars, possibly trains, things like that. And then, of course, there's the broad grab bag of assorted tools, quote-unquote, which is anything else that doesn't fall into one of those first two categories. So that's, like, your musical instruments, your thieves' tools, your your herbalist kit for some reason. Yeah, they have slightly different rules from artisans' tools in 5e. Um, And then looking at different rule sets for, like, let's stick to these same kind of three broad categories just because they're a nice way to categorize things. But in other RPGs, you will still have, like, tools for making stuff, vehicles will frequently be a different thing, and then assorted tools for accomplishing things, but not necessarily making things.
1: Okay, and so those three categories that we have, we, are, we have our artisan's tools, where the expectation is by the time you finish using artisan's tools, there's a product. You, yes. have, you have constructed something, and you can now hand it to somebody, theoretically. Boats are very large, it's difficult to hand it to people. Um, there's this special cutout we're going to call vehicles, which is, like, <laughs> I, can, I can operate, uh, I don't know, a large snail and ride it to my destination, therefore land vehicles. And then assorted tools, which is everything else. But I have to have a tool to execute the task. Um, and so, like, forgery is a good example of this in 5e. Um, gaming, like, it's really hard to play a game if I don't have anything to play the game with. Hard to roll dice, you know, hard to play cards, unless I have the equipment to go with it. Yeah. Awesome. So you talked a little bit about Pathfinder 2. I want to make an argument that like what this covers in 5e, in Pathfinder 2, it has to be some combination of lore and adventuring gear, where Artisan's Tools is the broad category of of one of the types of adventuring gear.
0: Frequently, yes. Um, Lore skills can get used in place of like more regular skills for a couple of things. If you're making stuff with artisan's tools or if you're repairing things, it's going to be crafting, which is just the, the all-purpose, I-know-how-to-make-stuff skills. So like, if you're really, really good at, uh, let's say, cooking, like you, you've got a ton of ranks in crafting, you can craft the greatest food. If somebody hands you a set of blacksmith's tools and is like, hey, can you make a sword? The answer is yes. And that, uh, you know, defies real-world logic a little bit. But Wait a
1: second. Okay, I want to make sure I understood that. So I have a really high crafting skill. Mm -hmm. You give me a kitchen, and I can make, like, Michelin star cuisine. You give me blacksmith's tools, and I can make the best dagger ever made? Yeah.
2: As long as you have the formula for it. Okay. That's the key in Pathfinder, (laughs) is that... Certain certain items can only be crafted uh, once you have the proper formula, which is not something that exists in Five E. Five E is just kind of nebulous, is like up to DM discretion as to what you can craft. <laughs> okay, which is, so uh, which is seems like a lot of the things that Five E does, which is both good and bad.
1: Okay, um, wait. So, so what I'm hearing though is that crafters in Pathfinder Two are software developers. Like as long as they can Google it, they can solve the problem.
2: Yes, essentially. (laughs) Like (laughs) if they if they have the proper equations and formula, then yes, they can solve the problem. But but the key is finding those formula, and usually the like finding the right formula. Like it even calls us out in Pathfinder rulebook, finding the right formula to craft an item can be an adventure in
1: of itself. Which I kind of like. I've been there a hundred percent. Like, how is Uh this not on Stack Overflow yet?
0: yeah you know find the uh recipe for full plate on some like weird GeoCities page from 30 years ago yeah
1: it's like somebody's angel fire account still holds the secret Uh, that's what that's what we need we need craft overflow
0: (laughs) i think they just call that etsy oh
1: yeah no that's
0: fair
1: (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah what's the other one uh pinterest right because like etsy they etsy is where the pinterest people are selling their 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 goods that makes sense classify the internet
2: i also think um when it comes you guys can correct me if i'm wrong but i believe in pathfinder 2 uh you are also limited based on your level as to what kind of items you can craft i don't think you can craft
0: an item that is higher than your level correct and that's that's to keep players from getting items that are like Way, way crazy powerful, powerful. Yeah, yeah which which has long been a thing in dnd mm-hmm. um but we'll save crafting for a separate episode cuz yes. it's involved
2: in pathfinder for sure
0: <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah, in, uh, in 5e it basically doesn't exist right yeah yeah <laughs> not involved <laughs> at all we just did the whole dnd 5e crafting episode yep. yeah <laughs> want to hear it again
2: <laughs> doesn't exist <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right so so uh PF2, yes. Uh tools, uh artisans tools are kind of a generic thing. There are some specific tools like healers tools, repair kit, um, a couple other specific things, alchemist supplies. Um, and then generally you'll use those either with crafting or with some something lore skill. Generally the crafting is gonna be the go-to, but there are weird exceptions like vehicles. We'll touch on those in a little bit. Um, and then there's a bunch of items that are kind of tool adjacent that that you could just call adventuring gear. Um, uh, fishing tackle. Uh, d and has long had rules for, like, you can, you can buy a block and tackle and take that fishing, and that gives you some benefit. I don't know, ask your DM. <laughs> but yeah, th- those things are in there. They don't have super specific rules, but it's an option. And if you want your character to go fishing, perhaps ice fishing, I don't know.
1: But I will say, like, that's the perfect example of a tool where, right, I can know everything there is to know about fishing. If you don't give me a hook, a line, and a stick, probably not going to catch very many fish. You know, if if you don't let me borrow your net that you're using for catching bad guys so I can throw your net into the water, I'm not going to catch very many fish. So, like, you have to have some tool available to actually go and execute on it. But the other piece, though, right, we have to have the item um, there's also an idea of tool proficiency.
0: Yes. Yeah, knowing how to use tools can be super helpful. Um, fifth edition is an outlier in that you can be proficient in specific tools. Like, I'm sure there are other RPGs that do something similar. I haven't read any of them. Um, so you can be proficient in any kind of tool. So there's artisans, tools, vehicles, Whatever else, and having proficiency in that tool just lets you apply your proficiency bonus to checks to use that tool. it's like, if I am driving my wagon down a rocky road, the DM might say, "Okay, make me a dexterity land vehicles check to keep your wagon from careening off a cliff." Um, and then, if you're if you're not proficient, you just don't get your proficiency bonus. Like, there's nothing stopping you from using a tool, like. If if me, as someone who is not proficient, if I pick up a set of Carpenter's tools, the fun police don't kick in my door and tell me to stop that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so this comes to Sasher's rant time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have issues with the way tools are implemented in 5e. Um, I don't feel like they add a lot uh, other than niche scenarios, like the ones you just mentioned, like with vehicles. But unless you're in a modern setting, I don't typically see vehicle skills being used all that much in D. d um, because either you have a horse or you don't. Um, but uh like so when you're approaching tools, the, the, a few major issues that I have with 5e is like one, which attribute are you using? Because it's not really clear. Uh and two, like if if you're doing something that can be related to a skill that you're already proficient in, then why are you rolling with the tools? So for instance, thieves tools are a good example uh i always forget that they exist because when i have someone pick a lock especially since you can attempt to pick a lock without having proficiency in thieves tools i just ask for sleight of hand and if a person is proficient in sleight of hand if a person who is a rogue has thieves tools they're probably going to be proficient in sleight of hand too so it's essentially the same bonus so why would i call for thieves tools i would just call for sleight of hand because it's just Easier to remember and it applies in more situations. So if you're gonna use tools, I feel like the way to implement it would have been to have a reason, like either give it a floating bonus, like what Pathfinder does, um, by using the tool. Like you can use it without a tool, but you have a bon- an extra bonus added on top if you use the tool, or you can't attempt certain checks at all without the proficiency in tools which is a little bit more limiting but it does make tools have a more important aspect to them.
1: No, I think 100%. And if you think about, you know, trying to be realistic cuz we all love realism in our tabletop games. <laughs> if that rogue is trying to pick lock by hand versus trying to pick a lock with their thieves tools, which situation do you think is going to be better for the rogue? Probably with thieves the thieves tool. tools, right? Yeah, 100%. So why not maybe give would you would you allow double proficiency bonus? Yeah,
2: I think, yeah, even just doing something like that. Or even just at, like, I believe in Pathfinder 2, when you use a a toolkit, it's like a plus one or a plus two. Like, it doesn't need to be a ton of stuff. Even if it's just like a plus one or a plus two, people are going to want to use the tools more because now they have a reason to. It gives them extra bonuses. Uh, If it's the same bonus as their skill, they have absolutely no reason to call out that they have Thieves tools.
0: Uh, Xanathar's Guide to Everything actually talks about how to handle when you have both a tool and a skill that apply at the same time. And the rule is just use the higher modifier of the two, and you get advantage. So, easy example, if I am proficient in a musical instrument and the performance skill, my modifier is probably going to be the same with both of those, and then I'm going to roll with advantage, which... Uh, If you were a performer who isn't playing with an instrument in D&D, you've shortchanged yourself. So, uh, you know, (laughs) if you were planning to be a comedian bard, uh, become a singing comedian. Yeah, (laughs)
1: might as well. Uh, And and, and I guess at lower levels, that's actually, because advantage is what, uh, plus three and a half on average?
0: Uh, About. It's like 3.3.
1: Okay, perfect. So in, like, Tier 1 and Tier 2 play that advantage is actually going to be better than double your proficiency anyway.
2: Yeah. And uh that's so that's that's a good point about the performance. Like there should also be consequences for not having the tool. So like if you want to perform and you say I want to, you know, play the lute or whatever, but you're proficient in violin, let's say. Uh it's like okay, you can try to do this. I'll say that your proficiency in instruments at least doesn't make you mean you do it with disadvantage. Um But, like, if you're trying, if you're someone who is not proficient in a musical instrument, you want to try to play an instrument, you should at least get disadvantaged for that,
0: right? Uh, Reasonably, yeah. Like, you can't just pick up a guitar or a violin that you've never played before and be like, ah, I've got 20 charisma. This is going to be fine. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But I can pick up a
0: hammer and a chisel and I can make them both, though, right? I don't actually know if you can make a boat with a hammer and a chisel. I'm gonna choose <laughs> to believe you. I am not I the person don't to ask. I think
2: you can.
0: No, yeah. I, I didn't <laughs> think the answer would be yes. Okay. I, well, that's how you get one past me as a DM. Ask me questions about the real world that I don't know the answers to. Can I make a boat with? St- with
2: can I make a? Can I make a boat with a stone worker's tools?
1: I I don't know what's stoneworker's tools because I'm pretty sure it's a hammer and chisel. <laughs> <laughs>
3: up,
1: you, you say that uh, I'm, I'm like everybody's university probably had the uh, concrete canoe. Oh no 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 I haven't heard this. Yeah, it was a real thing, right? You you engineer a uh, a small boat out of concrete. What? How does that float? Well, as long as the volume displaced is larger, you know, is the weight of the equivalent amount of water a volume displaced is larger than the weight of the concrete boat,
0: it'll float. Yeah. Uh, So I live in the Seattle area, famous for for many things, among them the world's longest floating bridge. It is this enormous, like, currently six-lane freeway, or six-lane bridge that crosses Lake Washington, and it floats on concrete pontoons. It's a thing. You can hold up a bridge with cars on it and everything. It's great.
2: That's that's insane. Science (laughs) is weird. Yeah. Sure, What's important,
0: it's... they did not build that with a hammer and chisel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, to go back to uh, Sleight of Hand and Thieves' Tools. So, in 5th edition, like those are intentionally separate, discrete things, because when they built the game they figured, if we make this one thing, it's gonna be too good. Like, Sleight of hand doesn't do a whole lot. It's basically picking pockets and hiding stuff on your body, and that's pretty much it. So basically, no one takes sleight of hand because it it doesn't do anything. But thieves' tools really good disarm traps, open locks, cause mischief, things like that. So a lot of RPGs, including Fourth Edition D and D and PF two, rolled that into one skill called thievery, which is both sleight of hand and uh you know picking locks disabling traps all of those things in one function so it's weird that sleight of hand was separated in fifth edition like that may have just been like okay we're going to keep this just to appease the people who've been around for a super long time no one's going to take it anyway so it doesn't matter
1: okay i want to i want to call back what you just said so they didn't combine them because they mm-hmm. knew it would be too good. So what they did is they said, let's take the good parts that will actually functionally change the game. Let's wrap that in a box, and we'll call this Thieves' Tools, and all this other garbage. Like, we're just going to push it off to the side, and, like, we're going to offer them, like, people, oh, you know, you know, choose one or the other. Huh? Which do you want? Huh? Oh, you want know, Thieves' Tools? Okay. You know, the next guy comes along, and like, oh, we're all out of Thieves' Tools. So I had to take slide sleight of hand.
0: <laughs> that does kind of feel like it, yeah.
2: That's that's interesting because um, I guess it just kind of depends on the person who's running the game because like in my in the games that I've I've run and the games that I've been a part of in my circle, sleight of hand is is one we always take because we almost never call for thieves tools. <laughs> it's uh, you want to pick a lock, sleight of hand. Want to disarm a trap, sleight of hand. Want to pickpocket, sleight of hand. Um, so thieves tools almost never enter the equation because it's always seemed extraneous extraneous to us. So. I get that's that's the thing is like when you make a system that's as confusingly worded as <laughs> the tool system is in five E, people are just not gonna interact with it uh in some cases or misinteract with it in other cases. I I don't know if there's a perfect solution to be honest.
1: I, I will say though, it feels like a perfectly great home rule. So if if the rules as written are that they're two separate ideas and you use this for you know lifting purses and rolling coins on your fingers like a villain and over here you're disarming traps and and breaking into things if if you as a home rule just say look that's one thing and we want to treat it like one thing that feels fine
0: yeah
3: you
1: know it's up to the dm to not let that be game breaking
0: Mm -hmm. yeah i mean that works fine in plenty of other rpgs and so rogues get proficiency in thieves tools for free so i'd say just yeah, if you're going to go there, just change that to sleight of hand for free. Works just fine. It's not a yeah. huge deal. It's the difference of one skill proficiency. And think back to your entire history of playing D&D. How many times has someone picked a pocket? Probably not super often.
2: No, almost never. Yeah, yeah I, did, I didn't know that. You guys are educating me. I didn't know that sleight of hand was just for pickpocketing in 5E. No.
0: Oh, it's also, for, it's also for tying ropes for some reason. Interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that, I mean, is tr- it's, it's that is true. a lot true. of dexterity to... Although, yeah, I will
2: uh, say, I have seen Sleight of Hand used pretty frequently in a different context, which is trying to disguise a spell that is being cast. I have seen that used quite
0: frequently. That does make sense. Like, if you were going to allow that, that makes sense as the skill that you would use for it. I don't think there's official rules for that in 5th edition. But yeah, if you're going to allow that in your game, Sleight of Hand is definitely definitely the uh one i would use for that maybe deception if you want to disguise the verbal components but for yeah, somatic components yeah definitely yeah that's what,
2: the, that's what i was saying is like uh for certain spells like if it's verbal then yeah it would probably be deception but for for somatic it's definitely sleight of hand like if you're trying to cast friends on someone or something well no <laughs> friends is just verbal but you, you you get the idea if you're trying to cast like an enchantment spell on someone you don't want them to know that you're casting a spell Feels like sleight of hand is a good one to use for that situation.
1: Okay, you don't, know, you don't want them to know what spell you were, or that you were casting a spell at all. That makes a lot more sense than what was going on in my head. What was going on in my head is like the villain leader is like, Yeah, I thought he was trying to charm me at first. And all of a sudden there was a fireball coming at my face. It really confused me. <laughs>
2: oh, that's not a bad idea either. Like yeah. trick them into what spell you're casting. That's,
1: that's pretty brilliant, actually. It's yeah. like I thought it was going to be fine. Then it um, wasn't.
0: Yeah, yeah, Xanathars has rules for identifying spells as they're being cast. So you as a spellcaster, might identify a spell and say, oh, I would like to counterspell that because I don't want to be on the receiving end of, of that whatever, and then it turns out to be a completely different spell. You made a bad call. Yeah, that, that could work out in the caster's favor if you want to let that happen. So let's dig into artisan's tools. Uh, we're not going to go crazy into crafting. Again, that really does need to be its own episode. For sure. Uh, but let's talk about what they are why they exist and maybe some like there are some edge cases for things that you can get out of artisan's tools in 5e. So for for PF2, it's just gonna be like here's your bonus for crafting. In a lot of other RPGs where crafting is involved, it's probably just gonna be like if you have the tools, you can craft things. If you have better tools, you get a bonus. Um in 5e, there are some specific other benefits that you can get from artisan's tools. Like I learned this from Rocco's article. If you have chef's tools, if you prepare food during a rest, everyone who spends a hit die gets more hit points back. Mm-hmm. Like the chef feat adds, adds a D6 if they spend at least one hit die, but the, just having chef's tools gives you another plus one per hit die, which is pretty nice. I wish I'd known that like six months ago. Yeah,
3: yeah that, that would have
1: been great.
2: I will say the stuff that Xanathar's adds to, like the practical features that Xanathar's adds to the tools, is is good. I like it. Um, I think it does add some value to tool proficiency that didn't exist before. As long as your players remember to use them,
1: yeah. <laughs> well, but I also say as long as the DM like makes a world that, you know, that it works for. But I, I yeah. suppose we'll get to that in a moment.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's kind of frustrating. You can. With the custom origin rules, like, you can trade weapon proficiencies from your race down to uh, tool proficiencies. So if you're an elf and you're a martial character, you're already proficient in all the weapons. You probably have four weapon proficiencies from being an elf. What are you going to do with it? Okay, trade it down to tools. I'm proficient in... Uh, calligraphy tools, navigators tools, brewers supplies, and why not carpentry tools. None of this is ever going to matter. I'm never going to use any of these things. I mean, you say you're never going to use any of these things, but I'll, I'll also make the argument knowing about
1: tools can also like the proficiency in the tool itself can also help us when we're working in the area. All right. So I might not have my brewer's tools with me, but if I'm in a brewery, that could be to my advantage. And I'm making a check Instead of having me make, you know, a, a history check, I guess in 5e, or maybe you call it an alchemy, uh, excuse me, an alchemy, wow, an uh, arcana check, because beer magic, I'll argue. <laughs> you know, on on the Pathfinder side, instead of like invoking, uh... alchemy is a thing. It, it is a skill in
0: alchemy, PF2, right? Alchemist, uh, alchemy is a thing in PF2. It's you just use crafting to create it, and then there's the like advanced alchemy thing, which lets you craft higher than like level one items. Yeah, you can have alchemy lab, you can have okay, I got I gotcha, gotcha.
1: Um but I guess there's a point I was gonna make. As opposed to invoking my skills, being able to go to my lore and using that history. I I feel like that's also useful in 5e.
0: Yeah, if you're in a situation where you can apply your artisan's tools, then yeah, it's definitely cool, but uh it's just so rare and like there's so many artisans tools that as a dm it's hard to it's hard to write those things into the game like in a published module they're not going to write something into the game that's going to say hey if the players have brewer's tools something 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 yeah it might be easier if you as the dm know what they have
1: i'm going to ask my question a different way if i'm in a situation where i don't have to use my tool but proficiency with the tool would grant me additional knowledge in not uh would, would grant me additional knowledge would you grant my proficiency bonus in an investigation or perception check
2: yeah i think so yeah i could see that
1: okay
0: good but, like give me an example <laughs> let's let's talk through it yeah okay yeah
1: um all right uh i am proficiency with uh with alchemist tools right uh, I'm in a shop where an alchemist has been murdered. I'm looking around, and I realize several things have been stolen. So my DM should be working with me on this, uh, and DMs at home, like, I think this is this is a big part of your role. Like, notice that somebody, you're in an alchemist shop, notice that somebody has uh, is proficient with uh, the alchemist kit, alchemist tools, and say to them, uh, you notice that the eye of newt, the capsicum, and the vinegar has been stolen. All right. Now, to everybody else, nobody else in the room doing an investigation check um, or a perception check would notice these things. But the perf- person proficient with the alchemist tools would notice these things and obviously would know that somebody is making
0: a barbecue sauce. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> sure. Yeah. I'll allow it.
2: <laughs> so, one thing that I would say is that, uh, if if maybe i'm just a meaner dm but i would say that uh if you succeeded on just a base investigation roll to notice that those things were missing um then you could make a check with your alchemy tool to figure out what they're trying to make um that would be the way that i would rule it but i could see it being rolled the other how you just described it as well
1: Oh, no, actually, 100%. I think that's probably the right way to tell this story, right? So yeah. on the investigation check, though, nobody else in the party would even have a chance of noticing that these things have gone wrong. And so mm-hmm. it's, almost, it's a two-tier setup, exactly as you say, where maybe later you allow the person to come back and figure out, like, the secret sauce, like the important part of what they actually needed to put together for the story.
3: Yeah.
2: No, I, I, I think that's a good way to bring in tool proficiency. Um, uh, I, I know later we're going to talk about uh, how DMs can make tools matter. I think you're right. Just having a list of wherever, where, most DMs have like their the car- copies of character sheets on their screens or whatever with people's passive perceptions. You should also have their tool proficiencies. And just uh, whenever there's a check that you think might relate to tool proficiencies, check
1: to see if anybody has that proficiency. You no, know, 100%. Let, let's hit pause on that. Cause I'm, I'm yeah. actually really excited to have that conversation
0: for sure. So let's jump to vehicles and drive quickly in a different direction. Uh, I see what you did there. (laughs) Thank you. Um, (laughs) So vehicles and proficiency therein are in a ton of RPGs. And just like that one tiny detail is actually a really interesting window into how how different rule sets work. So like D&D... Proficiency in skills, proficiency in tools, very, like, Boolean, very simple. You have it or you don't. Like, there's not a lot of minutiae there. And then the DM is is uh, burdened with deciding, deciding when things apply and when they don't. In other RPGs, the rules for vehicle proficiencies can often be much more specific. So in 5e, you have proficiency in land vehicles and your proficiency in aquatic vehicles and if you're in Eberron there's also the possibility of of air vehicles cuz airships are a thing um, in other RPGs like PF2 is an example there's no proficiency specifically for vehicles but you can take uh, a lore skill which can sometimes be used for driving things there's driving lore piloting lore and i believe sailing lore and I complain about lore skills in PF2 quite a bit because they're super vaguely defined and you can have whatever you want Lore, Like, if I wanted to have, like, wool socks lore, that's a thing. I could just write that on my character sheet. You can't stop me, fun police. (laughs) But then you can go and drive a vehicle and the rules for vehicles say like okay here's the check dc to pilot this thing based on how how much of a pain it is to control um and it'll give you a list of skills you can use so like airships you can use arcana crafting or piloting lore and the lore skills have a dc that's too lower than the other skills so like if if you know 100 for certain that it's gonna matter the lore skill might be a better idea but it's like I could also just take Arcana, and Arcana is going to be useful for other stuff. So, once again, PF2, why do lore skills need to exist? They don't.
1: I think lore skills are awesome. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, agree. <laughs> we'll agree to disagree.
3: Why? And, and right,
1: they're, they're never going to matter for combat, but I think that the right GM can take these things and really make them interesting and matter as part of the storytelling. That, that's my whole argument. That's the end of it. But it's going to take an attentive GM who has that list of lore skills, like sitting there ready to look at them, ready to make them matter.
2: There's always this kind of skill in. Uh, I, I and mean, I feel like 5e is kind of the exception, but there's, there's a lot of these like generic specialization skills, like education skill in Call of Cthulhu. Uh, I believe there's like a knowledge skill in Vampire that works the same way, where it's like uh, you have you're trained in like just generic lore education, Uh, but you have a specialty in that. So like, for instance, in Call of Cthulhu, your education might be in history or, or no history is its own skill. Again, it's like a redundant <laughs> thing. So mm-hmm. it's like, it has to be hyper specific. Like maybe uh, there's a science skill as well that allows you to do um, specializations in Call of Cthulhu. It's like, you could be, I am a science uh, nerd and atom atomization or um <laughs> our quantum neutrino fields or something like that. Uh, it's like very niche skills that almost never come up, but when they do, man, does it feel good <laughs> to have it? Hey, I, I have that specialty,
1: <laughs> yeah, but only the red color quarks, like nothing else,
3: yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's,
1: it's interesting you say that though. Like, if somebody approached you and said, I am a scientist, you would look at them and be like you're a liar. Like, I don't know. Yeah. You know, but as soon as there, it's like, oh, you know, yeah, I'm a microbiologist focused on the gut
0: bacteria of it. You're like, yeah, no, totally a scientist, that guy. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I'm something of a scientist myself.
1: A computer scientist, <laughs> a little bit. Is it a
0: scientist?
1: <laughs> it, no, it very much is, and we can let's duke that out after the episode. Not but the also, way I do it. <laughs> <laughs> I believe people call it the sweet science. Also, <laughs> fantastic Spider-Man reference. I so just thank you. <laughs> I'm here for it. That's
0: all. All right. So, so lore skills—they're a thing in PF two. Specializations are a thing in other RPGs. Call of Cthulhu, I believe Shadowrun has them as well. I love the idea of specializations within RPGs. Uh, I think the folks doing the advanced 5e thing also introduced the concept of specialization. I haven't read into it super far, so do not quote me on that. (laughs) But anyway, uh, lore can always be replaced with a more interesting skill in PF2. Uh, Back to vehicles... I love the way vehicles work in PF2. You get that list of like, here are the specific actions you can take with vehicle. You can drive the vehicle one to three actions, depending on how crazy you want to be. And there's just an action called run over that you can just use to ram your vehicle into things. And that's great. (laughs) And I love that. That's just in the core rule book. I feel like they finally gave
1: you cavalry back and that's exciting. (laughs) Uh,
0: I don't know if there's a run over action with a horse you can do it with a horse-drawn carriage. I don't know about just with a horse. I think there's an overrun rule, but I'm forgetting. All right, fine. We live, We leave unsatisfied.
2: Just let us do it with a horse. Come on.
0: Come on. <laughs> um, so I, I mentioned, like, vehicles as an interesting window into other RPGs. So uh, we mentioned Shadowrun. Shadowrun, um, my 6th edition book, it has vanished into somewhere. So I found uh my PDF of the fifth. Oh, you have it. Okay. How many skills for piloting are there in sixth edition Shadowrun? Because there are like 10 in fifth. <laughs> I'm guessing a lot. <laughs> so fifth edition Shadowrun has like 10 skills for piloting. One, basically one for each kind of vehicle. There's uh land vehicles like cars, there's walkers, there's flying cars. Or, flying cars flying vehicles there's aquatic vehicles so many skills sixth edition consolidates that down to one piloting skill then you have specializations for each of those individual skills so you no longer have to be like i don't know if i'm going to be driving a plane or a car so i need both of these skills now you can just be like, i can pilot things i'm really good at cars but i'm still okay at everything else and, and that,
1: that essentially, it gets reduced down to ground craft, aircraft, and watercraft, which really raises the question, is a submarine closer to an aircraft or a watercraft?
0: Watercraft. To crabs, do fish fly? Yes. Then it's an aircraft.
1: Good. If <laughs> you know, I have to navigate in three, in, in three <laughs> dimensions, obviously,
0: it's an aircraft. Oh,
2: my God. <laughs> if you think about it,
0: if you think about it, driving a, a, driving a boat, you try very hard not to navigate in three dimensions
2: i mean i want to
0: disagree with you but
2: yeah that's that's true you make a valid point
1: (laughs) that's what what we're here for thanks i hate it (laughs) submarines you you really don't want to hit the bottom like the ground is bad the wet ground is bad
3: Mm.
1: um yeah and what is a spaceship but
0: an airplane that went too high
1: oh god (laughs)
0: speaking of spaceships hey how about star wars yeah a <laughs> solid transition yes a plus. fantasy flight star wars uh there are if you look at the table of skills in the skills chapter it is a full page top to bottom just the names of the skills so there are a lot of them but skills include like weapon proficiencies knowledge stuff and then general skills there are two piloting skills one for planetary things and one for space things that's it so like if you're piloting an airspeeder you want piloting planetary if you're piloting a car planetary piloting a boat planetary bicycle planetary if you want to fly anything capable of going into space piloting space simple enough yeah like when you think about it characters in any of the star wars shows or films or anything like generally they're going to be in spaceships if they're piloting something on the ground it's never for a super long period of time like luke skywalker flies an x-wing he does very briefly fly an air speeder and it goes fine for him but you, you don't think like yes luke skywalker clearly knows how to drive a getaway car
2: yeah um it uh i mean that's true but like uh In the extended universe, uh, it's it's sort of like um, uh, expanded upon that uh, Luke is an ace pilot, right? And that he got a lot of that from, uh, he, he practiced his piloting skills through the use of his ground vehicle. So maybe there's some overlap?
1: I don't know. I thought it was just hereditary. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I mean, that's, that's part of it and the force yeah.
1: uh, also it's 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 with him the force is one with him and
3: yeah and uh, that's that has... any
1: kid i don't know if yeah. you guys saw that movie um that movie was really cool it was like the phantom menace i had nothing to do with the other the, the oh, yeah. remainder of it yeah but but like that kid you know you know that was
0: pod racing right
2: this is pod racing <laughs>
0: Something yes. something wizard,
2: I remember that. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: The force. It's just
0: the force. Also, <laughs> it is, don't think about it.
3: <laughs> yeah. Honestly, now that you
0: mention it. Yeah, it it is weird that they even bothered separating piloting into skills. Like they, they probably didn't want like your ace fighter pilot to magically be good at driving stuff on the ground. Hmm. But I mean, that is pretty much exactly how it works in all of the canon media like Anakin Skywalker never flies a spaceship until he accidentally gets in a spaceship and he's like eh this is fine
2: and then blows up a space station
0: <laughs> yeah yeah, actually yeah the, I, I, I can't off the top of my head think of any character
1: that was like bad at one and good at the other exactly mm-hmm. yeah maybe
2: Han did we ever see him <laughs> oh fly no he's at bad at both
1: to... he, no he's actually bad at both <laughs> right he um, just how dare you sir his, his luck is just like ah. he's a, he,
2: he does have a huge luck stat. That's for sure. Yeah.
1: Um, also, he, yeah. half the time he's not even flying. He's got like a wrench out banging on the aluminum Falcon.
0: Just. Well, I mean, they had they had an entire origin story movie, and at one point, like his heist buddies are like, "Huh, you are a pretty good pilot." And he's like, "I've been I've been telling you guys that this whole time." <laughs> No one buys it. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it
2: is funny that in the canon, they say that they kind of connect the ground vehicle skill with the space, like their equivalent. They're really not, though. No. And <laughs> they should be different. Just because you know how to drive a car does not mean that you are qualified to fly a plane. Yes, this is exactly like flying a plane. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I have to hope that they've just standardized the controls and stuff galaxy wide to the point that it's like uh well it's got a joystick i can drive it (laughs) okay no here's let's talk about the reality of it flying in space
1: it is actually really hard to hit something because there's nothing
0: there right
1: that's it that's the secret for space travel
0: (laughs) just go in that direction stop at the appropriate time
2: I do think it would be funny if canon star Wars just told us that Han Solo was bad at driving vehicles on the ground. (laughs) It's like, well, I can fly recklessly when I'm in space. (laughs) Now there's things
1: in the way. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, uh, (laughs) I just crossed universes. I'm sorry, team. We're going here. Uh, the, the Chris Pine series. Chris Pine, he's going to star in the new Dungeons Dragons movie. We're very excited for it when it comes out. Uh, the Chris Pine tra- Star Trek series, right? It opens up with Kid uh, Kirk driving a sports car off a cliff and then, like, barely hanging on at the last minute and be like, ha-ha, I wrecked the car. And he becomes <laughs> a good pilot.
0: <laughs> there you go, ahead of its time. Just taking the Cthulhu method. You got to get it wrong to advance yep (laughs) all right so i
1: i want to spend a little bit of time talking about how uh, dms can help make tools work and some of the ideas that we've already talked about so one know what tools your your player characters are proficient in if we're talking about pf2 uh, know what lore uh that your players have taken Know what kits and what tools they actually carry on their person. So it could be the case that somebody took a proficiency but didn't actually take the tool or the kit. Um, Maybe at some point as a gift to them, this is something that they find somewhere. Um, Know these things. Put these things together. Uh, The second thing I'll say is find a way to integrate them into your story. And I feel like, I don't want to do this by session because everybody runs different linked sessions, but I think on the order of four hours of play, find a way to make one of your player characters uh, tool proficiencies or lores matter. So one thing you can do is create better outcomes. We talk about this all the time. Like binary pass fail a lot of times really sucks. But giving, like let's say they go into a shop and they're trying to buy something. But a particular tool proficiency could help the person behind the counter. Uh, let's say you have an alchemist, uh, an alchemist toolkit and they're out of potions, but they have the ingredients for the potions. So if you agree to sit there for however long it takes to create the potions, they're going to give you a discount on the rest of your items, and then maybe they'll give you some stuff for free. So what, are, what is the party trading? They're trading in-game time for money, and neither of those things matter. So it's fine. They probably do it, and they
0: feel good about it. <laughs> In 5e, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I
2: agree. When, you're, when, you're, when a party member has a specialization or something... That they like a tool or something that's kind of niche, that should come up, um, especially uh, uh, in a big way. Like if you're either you use it pretty frequently, like like Randall said, every four hours, or it becomes uh, a crucial part of a storyline or something like that. One of the things, uh, one of the interviews I watched recently with uh, Brendan Mulligan, the dungeon master of Dimension Twenty. Is he says that when he prepares his storyline, like his campaigns, obviously his campaigns are pretty short. Uh, but when he prepares his campaigns, he always makes sure that he tries to include something from all of his party members, so that they all have a stake in the story in some way, and it's not just you know the one person. And he even tries to build his encounters around this, like every encounter should have something that uh at least one of the party members can exploit or use and uh make themselves shine. So especially I mean it's hard cuz for dungeon masters we have a lot that we're trying to work with but that's why I think like having your char- uh a copy of your characters character sheets next to you so you can just like look at them and be like hmm you know those uh uh those tinker's tools that my party member has haven't come up in a while how can i integrate those into the story maybe there's a maybe there's some sort of broken down machine that the villain is using in their abandoned lair that i can ask for a tinkerer's check and you do it in such a way that it doesn't feel like i planned for this to be a tinkerer's check yes yes but uh you'll see like there's you know there's a broken down machine um is anyone proficient in tinkerer's tools and then you're probably gonna be like
3: I am
1: <laughs> um, or, or more likely everybody's like no, no, nobody is. And you're like is anybody? Is just there anybody I no
2: one of you are. Look at <laughs> no your one character sheets.
0: <laughs> if you look at the front page of the character sheet, I don't think there's a space for tool proficiencies.
2: Some <laughs> Actually, people I'm just don't sure right
0: way down there in the bottom left corner, but like yeah, some let's people be don't honest. even
2: write down their tool proficiencies. I know I haven't in a while. <laughs> so it's just like <laughs> you gotta oh do I code. can I get proficiency in gaming tools. Yay! <laughs> Does anybody use gaming tools ever in d and D game? I have never used
0: those. Uh, I'm proficient in uh, dice sets, which means I know how to read a D four.
2: Oh, <laughs> that's a very useful skill. <laughs> sure
3: is.
1: Pretty good. Uh, he actually just uses them as a uh, caltrops, though. Like he throws them out, lets people step on them. <laughs> See, that, count, that counts that's right. That's a good
2: use of gaming set. There you go, yeah. perfect.
1: <laughs> uh. I, I, I will say though, like we're talking about finding ways to make things better. So one, like it shouldn't be a, like a pat on the head. It's like, oh look, I threw you a bone. Um, I want to call out. You can do this in modules, though, right? Um, I'll, I'll give an example. Now, I'll think of an example. Yeah. Okay. Here's one. So we're playing Rhyme of the Frost right? Early on, and you know, no spoiler. Okay, some very small spoiler, but you know, come with me. I'll make it vague. You go on a fishing adventure. There is a village being played by a lake monster. If you looked and you saw that somebody had uh, a fishing toolbox as a toolkit, leverage it, make it work. Like they're the person who has to do it, and they, you know, they're able to help other people as they're trying to fish to catch the fish monster. These are things that you can think matter. Like as you're looking, as you look and plan the session that you're going to run be thinking about the things that you can substitute in to say like, okay, look, it isn't super consequential to the story. Like another example I wanted to give is, let's say you're talking to a guard and it's not hostile. It's not like you're in prison or something, but you're trying to get through because you want to talk to somebody. And, you know, investigation check or perception check. The jeweler who succeeds on the investigation check notices that the, the gold chain that they're wearing is slightly broken and offers to fix it. Now you've endeared yourself to that person, and they're just going to let you in. It's going to be great, you know. Allowing this to be one of the paths that you take when you're solving problems, um, and kind of putting these things in your pocket, so that when you're just trying to advance the story, like the the goal was just to get through the door, and you would have allowed anything to get through the door. Being ready to go to find a way to make the tools matter for the person who maybe succeeds on that investigation and perception check, I think can be a way to make the tools feel important. While uh, bluntly, and if you're not a DM at home, earmuffs, uh, maybe they didn't really matter that all
3: that much at all.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think that's actually a good transition into uh, how players can make their tools matter. Uh, it shouldn't just all be on the DM. Uh, players need to remember that they have them uh and offer to use them in places where they think that they would work and even in places where they think that they don't because that 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 example that you said about noticing that the guard has a broken gold chain and how you can exploit that to escape, that's brilliant. And that's something that I would I would just if a, one of my players is like, if I asked my players how they want to get out of the situation and the guy who is proficient in jewelers kit is like, can I do that? I'd be like, that's dope. Yes, you can do that. Uh-huh. So think of weird uh like uh uh, what's the word i'm looking for unorthodox ways of using the kits that you're proficient in um because it can really add something to them and it can probably make your dm very excited
1: so i'm going to use the word absurd here Mm -hmm. but i'll say like these absurd ideas in my mind i feel like occasionally they're fun if you try to do that to solve literally every problem i think your dm is just going to go to a flat no uh, and so the same way we said, hey, you know, DMs, GMs at home, use tool proficiencies, use lore, like, once every four hours or so. Hey, player at home, like, maybe once a session, pop off with one of these things, because your DM probably will enjoy it.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's the same as with anything. Uh, you, you want to use it sparingly, because uh, otherwise, uh, for players especially, this is just good advice in general, use your things, your, the things in your back pocket sparingly, because otherwise your DM will plan to exploit it against you.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: Save your trump cards. Save your trump cards. I, I feel that. The other thing I'll say here is that be in tune with the GM and never be afraid to yes and with what they're giving you. So if they, if they throw this offhand comment about, like, there's a guard. Uh, the guard is wearing you know, t- a ring on each finger and a gold chain latch onto that. You know, if uh, the guard comes in and the guard has a hook like snapped into the the bill of the hat that they're wearing and you 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 have a fishing tackle proficiency, take advantage of that. Like, if there are these little details that your, your DM or GM is throwing in, even if they didn't mean for it to be something for you to latch onto, hook onto it and be like, well, you said this because I guarantee you your DM-GM will be so happy that you're just paying attention to what they're saying.
2: Yeah, 100%.
0: Yeah, absolutely take advantage of those things um and and while you do want to do it sparingly so it doesn't become annoying yeah definitely look for fun ways to apply your tool proficiencies uh stretch your imagination a little bit like if if you have mason's tools be like hey does this wall look weird if you have carpenter's tools be like hey can i saw through this locked door like these are tools in your arsenal. Uh, if you have calligrapher's tools, that, that hate mail you're writing to the local government. Make it nice. Exactly. <laughs> this is a very fancy person who hates what we're doing. Or you're putting a
2: lost person, missing person's uh, poster. Make it look nice.
1: Yeah. Wanted posters, reward posters. Actually, that's a great idea for a party, right? Like, if you find the you know, reward 500 gold, bring it to X. You use your calligraphy kit to make one with a hundred gold reward. You post that, pull the other, have them come to you and then you bring the prize to the other franchising. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. I, I think we did it, right? I think so too. Yeah. All right. Awesome. So we have a question of the week this week. Our question of the week this week comes to us from at point O. With the possibility of an updated 5th edition rule set in 2024, what is one thing you want to see in a 5.5 edition?
2: Better diseases. This is a sticking point for me. I want better diseases. Well, the I, past I three
1: years haven't been enough?
2: <laughs> Oof. Fair <laughs> enough. But it's just a thing that I've... I've uh, I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of things I would want from a 5.5. It was the one that immediately jumped to mind. Is like I've wanted to... Uh, I am fascinated by... um Diseases Especially in like a fantasy setting, because you know diseases have been a thing that have shaped human history for as long as we have been around, and they are a thing that humanity is constantly struggle with, and it kind of is a thing that I can't use right now because it
0: is so easy to get rid of, so we fix that <laughs> yeah that's a that's a good mm-hmm. point. We talked about conditions on the last two episodes. And yeah, diseases basically aren't a thing in 5e. Like paladins get immunity to disease at level two. I don't think I've ever heard of that mattering in fifth edition. Like 3x, yeah, there's a lot of things that can give you diseases. Being immune to it is nice. In 5e, literally never matters. So, disease isn't a class of thing anymore, right? Like it isn't an
1: ontological category. Instead, it's just that. You know, I can get mummy rod and hey, here's a list of things that'll cure my mummy rod. Well, mummy rod's a curse now. Yeah. Okay.
2: And yeah. so the thing, the reason I bring it up is like, I have been running a campaign. Uh, it was sort of a steampunk style thing. And uh, there were two instances that I wish disease had been better that I could have used because I had to homebrew a lot of stuff. Uh, there was a, there's a big, bad pandemic that's going around. Um, not as, not. Not as, like, a real-world one. Like, it was definitely (laughs) contained, but it was sort of, like, a thing that was always there, like the consumption and stuff like that. and Because, you know, consumption was a big part of 19th century um, life. And so I wanted that to be an ever-present sort of threat that's just, like, this person has this disease and it's just, like, a thing that happens to people in society. And then I had this other character who, uh, as NBC that I was really attached to, who she one of the things that made her so interesting was she was uh, constantly underestimated because she had a degenerative bone disorder, but she was, uh, she's this young girl who's very like a, a genius. So she's constantly trying to fight to be taken seriously and not being seen as a victim. But in a world where you could, she could probably just have that cured If she just hopped down to her local cleric, it's just like, that's, that sucks, man. I have to like, there, there, there are moving and interesting stories you can tell about stuff like that. So, and that are just completely negated. I don't know. It's a weird quirk. That it's, a, it's a weird demand and it probably won't happen,
3: but I'm hoping.
1: <laughs> what about you two? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat a little bit um, and answer with Snark. I hope all of my fifth edition content is still in 5.5. That is my answer.
0: <laughs> Backwards compatibility? Yes, 100%. Yeah, like, I I, agree,
1: yeah, you know, I and we're already taking steps where we're changing things a little bit, right? We have a new three pack which supersedes to some extent some of the stuff in the the original three pack, and, and I say that to say that if we get to five point five and it's like actually basically the original player's handbook is useless, it'll make me a little sad. I'm, I'm gonna buy it. Like that's.
0: I think realistically, what's going to happen with five five is we will get. Completely new core rulebooks, so players' handbook, DMG, monster manual. Hopefully, everything else will stay backwards compatible. Like that's that's what they told us they were going to do when they announced it. But who knows if they'll stick to that. But yeah, almost certainly the existing core rulebooks will be obsolete to some degree or another. But you should get all of the exact same things just updated in the new book. At least that's how it went with three yeah. five. So I'm, I'm hoping. <laughs> Let's go yeah, with expansion,
2: yeah. not contraction. Expansion, yeah. not contraction. <laughs> Don't cut out features; add
0: features. I think I've said this before, but I'd like, uh, I like—I would like better mounted combat rules. I agree.
2: I hundred—I <laughs> percent agree with that.
0: Yeah. Uh, what we'll a link th- to the
1: episode on mounted combat.
0: Yep. <laughs> uh, something I hated so much that we started this podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, there there are some subsystems in Fifth Edition that they really need to like start over from scratch. Reimagine mounted combat is a good example. Yeah, that's probably the biggest example I can think of. And then yeah, there's always some pain points that I hope they'll fix. It would be nice if it was easier to play monks and if you could build them more than one way. Yeah, sand off the rough edges, fix the broken subsystems. Let me ride a horse that doesn't suck. And, uh, hey, large races. Yes. (laughs) I know it's a
1: joke to you, but I want it. (laughs) I
2: know.
3: I know.
0: I think he actually also wants it. It's going to be great. (laughs) I do now. (laughs) I just want it to be there. I don't think I'll ever actually play a large race, but it would be nice to have an option.
2: (laughs) Yes, I agree. Just give us the option.
1: And then we'll take it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I'm Randall James. You'll find me at AmateurJack.com and on Twitter and Instagram at Jack Amateur.
0: I'm Tyler Kampstra. You'll find me at RPGbot.net, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RPGBOTDOTNET, um, Patreon, and Reddit at RPGbot.
2: I'm apparently Ash Eula, and you'll find me at Graven Ashes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh,
0: little inside uh, joke I yeah. that. inside joke for the uh, patreon discord folks uh, yeah. <laughs> with us is Ash Eula.
2: Ash Eula please accept and that you agree to the terms of my
1: service and then we can talk which
3: is uh, this uh, podcast
1: <laughs> All hail the leisure Illuminati! You'll find affiliate links for source books and other materials linked in the show notes. Following these links helps us to make the show happen every week. You can find our podcast wherever fine podcasts are distributed. If you enjoy the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe, and share it with your friends. If your podcast should be the question of the week next week, please email podcast at rpgpod.net or message us on Twitter at rpgbotdotnet. That's the old outro. This card is so old that it has the. Oh no! I
3: miss that.